When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Don Brunke coming down in three, two, one. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to Strange Planet. And uh, from my little corner of the Great White North, we're going all the way up to Alaska uh, to speak with author Don Bronke. The book is Shadow Animals, How Animals We Fear Can Help Us help, uh, Heal, Transform, and Awaken. And uh, Don is an animal communicator and a dream enthusiast who has led workshops and offered animal consultations for more than 20 years. Her many books include Animal Voices, Shape-Shifting with Our Animal Companions, The Animal Wisdom Tarot, Dreaming with Polar Bears, and Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake. And as I mentioned, she resides in the, uh, the great state of Alaska. Dawn, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for that nice introduction. So maybe we need a little primer on uh, on the shadow, and and I'm assuming by the shadow, are we talking about what the Swiss psychiatrist uh, Carl Jung was talking about when we talk about yeah. the shadow, that aspect, I guess, of ourselves that that doesn't kind of fit with our ego. Right, right. In psychological terms, the shadow is the hidden, the repressed parts of ourselves that we prefer not to identify with. So shame, guilt, greed, arrogance, weakness, incompetence, we could go on and on, right? We right. don't you know, generally like to see ego deflating aspects of ourselves, so we hide them away. Um, I always think of it as in the basement of the psyche, we kind of push them down. So the shadow is that which holds all those parts of ourselves that we judge or we disown, um, you know, our secret fears, our repressed emotions, uh, hidden prejudices, um, dark thoughts or beliefs, 
And um, every individual has their own shadow. Uh, but what's interesting is that every family, every culture, every nation has a collective shadow as well. So not only do we do this individually, but we do that we do this kind of as a group as well sometimes. So we have, you know, uh, there'll be a cultural like predisposition not to like a certain thing, and that'll be kind of our our shadow will be pushed down into the collective unconscious or psyche. Right. Yeah. Um, it, can it also be things that we find? Um, annoying in other people. It's kind of a reflection back on us. Yeah, well, that would be the projection part of, of our of our shadow. So all those things that we really don't want to look at, we do have a tendency, humans are great projectors, we kind of fling them out onto other people or other things. So, you know, it's always the annoying driver, that's the problem, or it's the government, or, you know, sometimes it really is the government, but I'm just saying... Sometimes, you know, we tend to um, uh, disown that which we don't really want to look at ourselves. So we project it onto people as well as animals. Right. Well, that's where we have kind of cultural animal projections that we do. You know, rats are dirty. You dirty rat. You know, we, we just we do it. Um, snakes are sneaky, you know. So it, it becomes kind of ingrained in us. Um, and and yeah, that's part of our collective shadow for sure. Interesting. So that's part of the projection, projecting it onto animals. Are they, do we find those to be um, universal? So for example, if, well, they don't have snakes in Ireland, but if they did, would the Irish also think of the, of snakes in the same way that we think of snakes? Do uh, we, we tend to think of, I don't know, foxes, tricksters, maybe um, the other cultures also project the same shadow onto these animals? Yeah, the answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no. Fox is a trickster, for example. You do see that in a lot of cultures. Uh, let's take an animal such as bat. You know, we're coming up to ha Halloween. Bat is a really good halloween -y animal. You know, we tend to, I think, in, in, in the U.S. and Canada, you know, we um, bat's more of a shadowy, shadowy animal. It's a, it's, we don't really want to, have a lot to do with bats. They're scary. They're, you know, there's a lot of projections about bats. You look at China, especially ancient China, bat was a symbol of wealth and prosperity and good luck. So it was an entirely different view of bat. In fact, bat was carved into a lot of um, old furniture and painted on palace walls and oftentimes embroidered in beautiful silk garments that royalty would wear. So that's an example of a totally different view of an animal in, in two different cultures. Because why? They don't, we don't, our collective shadow isn't the same as your collective shadow. Huh? Just as one individual's shadow is, could be different than another person's. Yeah. So the, um, the fear of bats, the fear of snakes um, or rats, is that, is that innate? I mean, does that shadow, um, does, does, is it passed on almost, I don't know. Well, it's, it's innate. In other words, it's not a learned behavior, or is it? I think it tends to be a learned behavior. Take an animal like spider. Some people aren't afraid of spiders at all. Other people, they're, maybe their mother or their father was afraid of spiders. Um, you know, so it becomes a learned thing. I'll, actually, I'll give you one close to home, which is snakes. Um, I wrote my last book um, about snakes and I came to live with two snakes and my whole, I didn't realize this at the time, but my whole father's side of the family 
has a huge phobia against snakes. They just, they don't even like to say the word. And my dad didn't come to visit me for two years because I had snakes. It was just too scary. It wasn't something I understood. It was something that he grew up with. His family has it. Um, so is that learned? Yes. You know, and, and, and it depends. It depends on the animal. It depends on the individual, right? Um, you know, just speaking in general for phobias, for animal phobias, um, a lot of times really what the core of the phobia is, is misunderstanding or ignorance. I don't know a lot about this animal. Ooh, snakes are scary. You know, my mother didn't like snakes. We don't like snakes in our family. So it just becomes this um, ingrained idea about snake without really ever stepping outside of that box and going, well, you know, what's interesting about snakes or why are snakes so scary for me? And a lot of people, I think, don't really like that self-reflection, huh? We don't really kind of look at, want to look at what, what bothers us. Um, and that's why shadow work in general tends to be, you know, I was thinking of it kind of, it's for people who um, are willing to put in the work to look at, to look at what makes you uncomfortable, huh? Yeah, I was, that's leads us into this discussion about, you know, what is the, the purpose of the shadow or the value of the shadow when we think of, at least when I think of Carl Jung and the shadow, it's like, you know, this dark, horrible side of us that we don't really show to the world, but it exists. And, and um, being British, I tend to, you know, shove everything down deep inside until it mm. it's compounded like a hard diamond. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. We just don't talk yeah. about those, you know, emotions and all those things. That's just part of the, the British culture, I suppose. But what is the value of... Uh, well, shadow. yeah, no, it's a really good question. And, and, and there's kind of a, a number of answers to that, because I think at a certain point, um, let's just talk about how we accumulate shadow as a child, huh? You know, we, our parents want us to be cheerful and smart and obedient. And so, you know, then we're, we're, we're as little kids, we want to please. So we might put that moody self or that self that is selfish or whatever it is in the family, you know, that becomes stuffed down. That becomes our shadow. Huh? And the, the poet uh, Robert, Robert Bly uh, calls the shadow the long bag we drag behind us. You know, <laughs> so we're always putting stuff in that bag and we're carrying it around. And then, you know, when we go to school, we want to fit in. We, we kind of, um, uh, uh, I talked to a lot of animal communicators just with my first book and they would always say, I learned how to do this. And then it was too weird for my friends. So I had to stuff that, you know, into the bag, into the shadows so that becomes shadow. So, um, okay. Sometimes I think, um, shadow material comes because we're traumatized or we have abuse in that case, the shadow or that, that part of ourself is kind of helping us, huh? It's, it's putting it down there to wait at another point. Sometimes, however, we're just judging and we're just not liking certain things that we put it down there. So circling around to your question, that was kind of just the background. What's the value of shadow or why do we want to look at it? You know, it's a part of us, huh? And the more it's pushed down and repressed, the more we ignore it, the more it kind of clamors for our attention. It seeks to be seen because it's part of who we are. Huh? And the more we repress it, the more the shadow works to make us aware of it. So it starts sneaking out in those unsuspecting ways in our dreams, our daydreams, our daily life. You know, we get triggered by things that leave us angry or unbalanced. We don't know why. 
oftentimes that shadow kind of kind of speaking, wanting to come out. We tend to act out too in, in, in ways, you know, we blame others, we have knee-jerk reactions to certain things, we project our faults out there. So we be, what, what happens in short is that we become angry at certain things in the world and we believe the problem is out there. Huh? And all the time we're neglecting our shadow, we're neglecting to see what part of it, it that is. Um, from a slightly different angle, what's the value of the shadow? All of those selves have gifts. All of those selves have knowledge. All those aspects of shadow know things that we don't. And by keep pushing them down there, they're getting angry, coming out. You know, we're at odds against ourselves. yeah? And so, yeah, there's something about when we start pulling that information back, you know, we might end up with a very... Um, uh, traumatized self but as we embrace that and, and kind of integrate that more into who we are we grow and we learn its gifts all of those shadow selves have gifts that we can take on and and um allow us to become a bigger version of who we really are so how do shadow animals uh, and we'll, we'll talk about animal com uh, companions and animal guides and so forth but how do they how do they help us connect with our shadows Okay, so it's really a matter of looking at why do I not like snake? Why do I? Is there an animal you don't like, for example? Uh, I'm. I have an an irrational. Well, I don't think it's irrational, but it probably is an irrational fear of sharks. When I land oh, in sharks. a destination, uh, a foreign country or whatever, the first two questions I ask is, "Can I turn right, right on a red light?" <laughs> because <laughs> sometimes you can't. And secondly, <laughs> uh, when was the last time a shark was seen in this in the vicinity of this yeah. bay? Yeah, sharks are sharks are a good one because so, you know what's the fear of sharks? Being torn for you. <laughs> being all those alive, teeth. Being all those teeth. Alive. Right. Right. Teeth. Yeah. And and so you know and that's the thing. So if we were going to do a, like a little a little mini session and we we're going to look at it we would we would look at like well why what is the fear about shark? Okay, it's about being eaten. And where do you feel that in your body? How does that make you feel? Sorry to get too psychoanalytical here. But th that's a that's a way really to start um working with it is where do I feel that in my body? Do I become tense? Do I become um you know, do I freeze up? Um, do I feel it in the base of my spine? Do I feel it in my head? Where do I feel it in my body? I'm going to give you the whole thing here. Right, right. Then we would then, so you, so you want to, you, what you're doing is you're learning about yourself. Why do I have this reaction to shark? Okay. And it's not just a mental thing. It really isn't. That's why I always try to get people in their body right away. Where do I feel it? How does it feel? Um, what is it, what does it, uh, bring up emotion wise? So maybe you had, maybe you read stories when you were a child, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, that's what we would look at things that happened when I was a child, things that I learned or what, maybe I watched Jaws one too many times, you know, <laughs> I read the book when I was 12 Yeah. on a yeah. family vacation out to the Atlantic ocean. <laughs> My parents drove 2000 miles unbeknownst to them in the back of the trailer, I was reading uh, Robert Benchley's Jaws and I didn't, I wouldn't dip a toe in the Atlantic Ocean. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Robert Benchley, he, um, he spent the rest of his, the latter years of his life working for shark conservation. Yeah, he regretted he, it. Yeah. He realized it was a very, um, 
you know, he read it, wrote it for entertainment. He thought it was a great entertainment thing, but a lot of people, it didn't make a lot of people um, very fearful of sharks. So the next thing would be was to be, to be looking at shark in, um, you know, in mythology and legend, like the Hawaiians have these really beautiful um, legends about shark gods and goddesses that help um, uh, sailors or help uh, people who have fallen from boats to find land. And there's, there's more, there's a lot there in the Hawaiian culture about shark, sharks and in the Hawaiian culture to have shark as your ally or as your guide is a very powerful medicine. So when you start going into that, maybe you start having different ideas about shark. Maybe you start saying, oh, there's something about shark that speaks to me about, you know, um, some different part of my being. Again, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but that's how we would get into it. That's how you'd start looking at, um, you know, what shark has to teach, has to teach you and what shark might, um, might offer you. Yeah. As an, as an animal communicator, I mean, mm-hmm. Are these animals that that we associate with some, you know, that we have phobias about and so forth? How do they, how do they react to that? Are, are, they, are they aware of that? <laughs> well, I think animals, just like humans, we know we're being humans. We're not really thinking about, and yet I could be a shadow to somebody. I could be a projection, you know. Um, we all we we project on humans as well. So I think there are. That said, I think there are some animals, and I have talked with a lot of snakes and and even um, uh, uh, spiders. Interestingly, that are aware that humans in general um, have fears around them and have uncertainties. And again, I'm speaking very very generally, but I think the animals that we tend to um, think of as shadow animals um, have an ability to kind of go deep. They tend to be animals that are able to work with us in a, in a deep way in uncovering what's hidden in the psyche, what's buried. And so they're, um, they're well, some, some animals are well suited to be uh, shadow animals. Yeah. But do they feel, do they communicate, you know, this is so unfair, like, you know, I'm no, not. No, I've never heard that from, from an animal, no. Not, I've not had that one. Let me, let me tell you a quick little story here about how my first shadow animal, and maybe you'll get a sense of this, of how this uh, plays out for some people. Um, when I was nine years old, I went with my sister and my mom um, uh, to visit my mom's friend. She lived a couple hours away and we were going to stay overnight. And we did. We had a great time. And um, early in the morning, I got up. Everyone was asleep. I went downstairs to get a glass of milk. And the woman had cats. Huh? She had three cats. And sitting there in front of the refrigerator was the eldest cat. It was a beautiful gray cat with bright green eyes. And it was looking at me (laughs) in a certain way, in a way that I had never uh, had an animal look at me before. It was as if it was looking into me, huh? And something in me got very frightened. And I, I, I don't even remember exactly what happened. I just remember running up the stairs, the cat chasing me, me jumping on my mom's bed. The cat never scratched me or touched me. And we all kind of laughed it off. John's afraid of cats, right? <laughs> but, um, and I didn't, I didn't hate the cat. I didn't, I wasn't upset with the cat. I was never a cat person. I was, I was a dog person. So, you know, cats were always kind of in the background for me. So, and at yeah, nine years old, I didn't have the wherewithal to say, oh, that was my shadow animal. But here's what's happened. Here was what was really interesting what happened is that about a week later, I developed an allergy to cats. 
whenever I got near cats, my eyes would start watering, my um, my nose would stuff up. I, it got to the point where even if I touched a cat, I had to wash my hands really well, or I would have a full allergic reaction to a cat. So that really was a shadow animal for me. And, and another interesting aspect of that and so I just stayed away from cats. You know, that's how I dealt with it, which is typical reaction to the shadow. Let's just stay away with it. Just ignore it. But in my college years, um, I was uh, really into dreams. And I would have this dream of a cat. It was a special cat. It had a little fez, a little hat on its head, right? A little Moroccan fez. And it was sitting uh, either on the top of the refrigerator or on a couch or in a chair in a special way. And it would always look at me. And, you know, it, I had that dream probably over two years. I would sometimes forget the dream and then have the dream again and then rem remember, oh, I've dreamed this before. So Kat in that way came back to me. It made me go back to that incident that happened when I was nine years old and sort of revisit what does Kat mean to me and how is Kat my shadow animal? And Kat really became an ally to me. And, and, and um, you know, I no longer have the same... I have a slight allergy still, <laughs> but I no longer have the same um, um, way of looking at cat. Huh? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It's fascinating. I yeah. did that. Uh, Don, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and then discuss further. Shadow animals, how animals we fear can help us heal, transform, and awaken. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. We're back with Don Brunke, the author of Shadow Animals, How Animals We Fear Can Help Us Heal, Transform, and Awaken. Um, my wife, uh, well, I, I, like, I like this animal too, and we have a lot of them in our neighborhood because we're surrounded by ravine. This neighborhood is just full of fox. Mm. Um, typically on a, any evening we go out for a walk, we'll encounter a fox. It's usually the same one. We've named him Black Socks. He's got four black socks. And uh, he'll, he'll uh, sit at the end of uh, somebody's driveway and just patiently watch as we walk by. And, you know, we're, we, don't wanna try, we don't try and approach the animal and he doesn't try and get too close to us either. But, and my wife is always saying, oh, I love fox. It must be my spirit animal. Um, what does that mean if you believe you have a spirit animal? What is, uh, and is it, is it perhaps even your shadow animal? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think, I think your spirit animal could be a shadow animal of sorts, although, okay, let's just do definitions. You know, spirit animal, animal teacher, animal guide. I kind of use those words a little bit loosely. I don't like to get too um, hard and clinical with that. I think a spirit animal is an animal that speaks to you, that resonates with you, that maybe protects you, guides you, offers uh, lessons, offers insights and advice, you know, any and all of the above. So the fact that your wife is saying that, you know, she, obviously she resonates with Fox. Fox is a teacher. Maybe there's some quality. Of, I mean, it would be interesting to ask her, well, what quality of Fox do you specifically like? You know, do you like that they're, they are trickstery. We've already talked about that. They, they, you know, they kind of live between worlds in those boundaries. They like to even physically, right, kind of on the boundary of forests and fields and things like that. 
and we see in, in mythology, fox or in, in legends and stories, fox is often about, um, uh, there's a little bit of magic about fox, huh? Fox can lead you to other worlds in some myths and some legends. And, and there's something about the in-between with fox and, you know, it's sort of a gentler version of coyote, you know, coyote yes. is the, as the really strong trickster, you know, rare, uh, whereas fox is a little gentler in that way. And, um, so can Fox be a shadow animal as well? Yeah. I mean, there's people who like order and they like, they don't like the ambivalence. They don't like things that are in between. So for certain animals, Fox or coyote could be a shadow animal. Well, that's interesting. Cause I'm the, I'm the organized or oh, the order person. I hate mm -hmm. clutter. I hate chaos. I love routine. Uh, so maybe this, maybe this, the Fox is my uh, shadow animal. Um, I think one of the things that we really enjoy about foxes, just because they're beautiful and they're a sleek animal and there's a kind of a feline quality about them. There I mean, is, you said yeah. that we're dog people, not cat people, but, yeah. um, and the other thing I don't, you've probably seen the, you know, the YouTube videos of, of people tickling foxes and they laugh like children. <laughs> Do they? No, I haven't seen those. They, they laugh like children. Oh. It's incredible. Wow. Um, the, um, the animals that, um, and manifest. You mentioned animals coming to us in dreams. Mm -hmm. What's that work there? Um, I mean, are we simply, I mean, I guess it depends on what you think dreams are, but are, are uh, shadow animals and, and other uh, creatures, are they able to manifest in our dreams and for an expressed purpose? Well, I think so. Like the, like the story I gave you about the cat, the, that, that dreaming of the cat, there, I didn't know any cats, but that cat, I, I feel did come to me as a shadow animal teacher and kind of, and it sat with me. I mean, he was really wonderful because that cat just, um, it never said anything or did anything. It just, I think it was waiting. It was waiting for me to kind of open up to the teaching. It was being very respectful. In fact, later on, when I did more as an animal communicator dialogue with that cat, um, that cat said, we teach respect by being respectful. So there was something about waiting for me to open to that teaching of cat. And, you know, think about it. If I was nine years old and I had that ability to sit with cat, maybe I would have sat down with that cat in front of the refrigerator and had a wonderful little conversation. But no, I was, uh, it, 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 it brought fear up in me. So that's what speaks to the shadow is more that fear, more that, more that uncomfortable feeling, huh? And maybe that's one reason I'm so interested in shadow animals was because that cat, uh, uh, that cat did come in a dream as a teacher and really was very patient with me in, in allowing me to be comfortable with my sense of being uncomfortable, huh? I dream about swimming with yeah. sea turtles. Mm. Sea turtles, uh, they're in the book. Yeah. That can be a shadow animal. Well, it could be. I mean, it depends. I mean, if you're, if you dream of swimming with sea turtles and you're enjoying it, Yes. In the dreams? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, isn't that kind of ironic because you're afraid of sharks. Yes. So you're in the ocean in your dreams with sea turtle. Maybe sea turtle is more of an animal protector, an animal guide. Maybe sea turtle is helping you get comfortable enough with the ocean so that you can perhaps see a shark and not be afraid or see a shark and think, oh, that's interesting. You know, sometimes animals do come, I think, as helpers. I think oftentimes animals come in our dreams as helpers and um, um, kind of inspire us to see things about ourselves in different ways or to encourage us. 
you know, so maybe sea turtle is encouraging you Fascinating. to be okay with the ocean, huh? I might be, I might be. All right, we'll yeah. take another time out. Don Brunke stays with us. Shadow animals, more to come. Stay with us. Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Don Brunke is with us. Shadow animals, how animals we fear can help us heal, transform, and awaken. How do we get a copy of the book? How to get a copy of the book? Yes. You can go to my publisher, Inner Traditions. You can come to my website, and I have links. You could go to Amazon. You could go to Barnes & Noble. You could go to your local bookstore and request it. <laughs> Uh, is there a way we can we can um, communicate or find out what our animal guardian is or our animal guide, rather? Well, sure. And I always tell people when they ask a question like that, you know, start with where you are. Maybe you have a sense already of an animal in your life that has been very significant and that has come at, you know, uh, moments when you needed that animal. Um if so, you're already on your way. If not, you know, it's easy to, um, if you meditate great or if you journey, things like that, but you can just lay on the, on the grass. Well, I can't today because we have snow, but, you know, lay outside in nature or in a comfortable place and ask, you know, can my animal guide come to me? Sometimes we get that in our dreams. Sometimes we get it through daydreams. Sometimes we just get a feeling. So it's, it's, that's as open as, as you are, you know, to how, you're, how you find your animal guide, your animal teacher, your animal spirit. I think we all know at some level, you know. What's interesting to me is the question of, um, let's say I have a problem, and for me to say, mm, what animal can help me with this now? Because, you know, we do have, we have multiple animal teachers in our lives, multiple animal spirits or guides, um, you know, just like we have multiple human teachers and guides and things like that. So if when I have a, an issue that I really don't have a sense of what am I going to do about this, that's what I do is I close my eyes and I go, what wisdom do I need? You know, and oftentimes an animal appears, sometimes that one I'm really surprised by. And then I start to work with that animal to learn about its teaching and what is and, and, and you know it's it's easy to do. There's so many books, and I've written a few of them of, of you where you can look up what the animal means. But I always encourage people before you do that, ask what that animal means to yourself. You know, let's let's say it's let's say it's butterfly. What do I think about butterflies? What do I feel about butterflies? What do I sense about them? What are they speaking to me in this moment? Right. Right. And really spend a little time with yourself to look at that, because otherwise you kind of, you know, you don't you're not making uh, uh, you're not using your own resources, which are really the most important. And then you can go to the books and get other ideas and go, oh, they also mean that. That's interesting. How does that fit? And so kind of play with it. Uh, I think a playful approach is really important. And that's one thing I, I stress in my book about shadow animals is that when we're dealing with this, you know, um, having creativity, having curiosity, having a sense of playfulness, you know, dancing lightly kind of with the shadow is what I'm about, is what my, this book is about. And it's what about, it's, it's what I'm about too. It's like, I th just think that we get more um, from the world and from our experiences when we kind of open ourselves, open our minds, open our hearts, 
um, to what's going on and consider things from many different viewpoints. Huh? Well, you mentioned sometimes we, we can be surprised by, um, you know, what animal, if you're looking for, uh, for the solution to a problem or uh, what animal may make an appearance before you. And, and mm -hmm. um, I know you mentioned the rat in mm -hmm. here, which, you know, has a pretty bad rap for, for mm -hmm. lots of reasons, the bubonic plague and people associate the rat with disease and filth and, uh, mm -hmm. in some cases, poverty and, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but as you point out in the book, rats are very resourceful. Incredibly resourceful. And they're also actually clean, which I know goes against the way we think about them, but they're scrupulously clean. They clean themselves a lot. They're also people who live with rats will tell you they're very clean, you know, even though we see them, uh, um, by our shadow, which is our filth, you know, human rats have evolved by following humans. That's really how, and they've, you know, uh, uh, colonized in way many different places by following humans way back from ancient times. So, and, you know, um, we have, we have ideas about rats and they get passed on, you know, the bubanic play late, latest research is that it was actually fleas that, right transmitted that it wasn't really the rats but we still keep thinking about that huh it's the rats they're dirty we call people dirty rats you know yeah there's a lot about rats that we as a collective um as a culture uh, uh, the west especially projects onto rats rat rats you know they um they're they're sneaky they can get all go through things they're very resourceful they're incredibly um they reproduce quickly you know so this is all stuff that is our human shadow. You know, we have, if you're a very moralistic person and you're very, you know, uh, very big on cleanliness, then this projection on rat is something that, um, it comes from us. It doesn't come from rat so much, huh? And so the way out of that is to start looking at rat, research rat a little bit. And uh, yeah, I have a whole chapter on rat about, um, about rats and how smart they are, how incredibly smart they are. And you mentioned uh, laughing or uh, how foxes laugh, you yes. know. They also found out there was a scientist, I, I read a lot of his work. He um, learned that uh, rats laugh. They, they laugh and they can be tickled. And they and they have a response to and rats are also very family oriented. True. You know, we don't want to see that about rats. But we kind of want to project bad things about rats. So again, it's this dance, huh? It's this dance of looking at what we're projecting and what the reality is. And are we able to come to terms somewhere in the middle of expanding ourselves? Yeah. You're up in Alaska, grizzly country. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't know if, well, I guess if you're north of the Arctic Circle, it would be polar bear country as well. And you've written about, uh, what is it, dreaming with polar bears. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about uh, bears, either grizzly, polar, or otherwise, about some of, I don't know, their traits as a shadow animal. Um, well, yeah, I didn't really get into this in the book with bears. Um, so I'd have to ponder that a little bit. You know, bears um, often figure in dreaming. Um, and there's a Native American connection with bears with dreaming and the hibernation and the, the going, um, you know, kind of under the earth. They don't go under the earth, but, you know, in, in caves and in um, underneath trees and stuff. So there's something that lends itself to that um, ability to um, uh, deepen and to explore what's what's what's, you know, kind of in the psyche. I don't think bears are often uh, uh, a big 
big shadow animal for collectives. They may be for individuals, but for collectives, not so much. I don't see that that much. Um, I would say bears tend to be more um, animal spirits or animal teachers in terms of helping us with our dreams, helping us with go within. You know, I was just actually at a dream workshop this morning and, and the instructor was talking about mama bear, you know, holding and embracing and how, how when you do journeys, you can um, go into that, go uh, request that kind of spirit bear to, to protect you. So there's so much about bears. And again, for each individual, it's different. Some, somebody had a bad run in with a bear. The bear may be their shadow animal. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese Zodiac, you know, year of the rooster, year of the rabbit, year of the snake, year of the rat. Um, is that on some level, is that tied into shadow animal, I mean, uh, shadow animals? And, and, you know, the, what is the Chinese culture collective shadow animal? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't feel, I'm not an expert in that at all. So this is just my guess, you know, but I think um, the Chinese Zodiac, I, when I when I go to Chinese restaurants and, and read the little placemat, right? It's usually the positive signs that they're that they talk about, yes, you know. Yes. So usually, like rooster, be bold and about awakening, and rat might be about being resourceful and and things like that. So I think those are used more as um, animal teachers in the sense, not so much shadow animal teachers. They're not looking at necessarily, um, you know, what's scary about these animals, right? Um, tell me the question again. I lost well, it. Uh, certain cultures have a collective shadow animal. So yeah. maybe we can give some examples. Like does the Chinese culture have a collective? Well, it's probably animal? the virus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a shadow animal for oh, all yeah. of us right now. That's right. True. That's true. Right. Yeah. What's the scariest? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I don't know about the Chinese, what, what their shadow animal would be. I'd have to think about that a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Any other, any other culture examples of shadow animals based on a, well, a, I do a, think, you know, in the West here, we, uh, I think uh, rat is a really good shadow animal that we have. I think um, snake. So here's a kind of a universal shadow animal, a spider, little spider, little spider makes so much fear in the world. You know, I read one statistics that, that one out of three people were uncomfortable with spiders. So what is it this, uh, uh, such a tiny little spider that, that um, creates such fear and such a, a sense of being uncomfortable? So spiders are great, um, a great shadow animal. And yet when you start researching um, spider, you see spider as such a powerful mythic figure, you know, creating webs and, and I mean, I remember I grew up on Charlotte's Web, yes. so I, yes. I never had a bad thing about spiders, you know. Um, but uh, so anyway, what I'm saying is, you know, there's not really one such thing as a shadow animal. It's we who create our shadow animals, yeah, because it's projection. So, yes, we can say that in the West, a rat is a, you know, kind of a collective shadow animal. In China, it might be this. In Iceland, it might be this. But the main thing I think, or the more important thing is to realize that we create those shadow animals as a culture, as a nation, you know, sometimes neighborhoods and, and as individuals and families, families without, you know, for my dad, their shadow animal was the snake for sure. Hmm. Yeah. A creature that certainly lurks in the shadows. Uh, and it's one of my favorite um, 
animals, and that would be the owl, mm. uh, which I mean, obviously has uh, in mythology. There's so many great stories. My my uh, I, I married into the Greek culture. My wife is Greek. My children have Greek, and of course, Athena's companion was the owl. The and, owl, right? Um, and also in talking with um, UFO researchers and, and people that have had close encounters, there seems to be a connection with owls. People often see an owl uh, in connection with a, with a close encounter with either a UFO or an ET. What do you, th what do you yeah. think is happening there with owls? It, that is interesting because I'm also interested in that whole aspect of things. I haven't really thought about that in terms of um, uh, shadow animals, but... Yeah, what is it about an owl? I mean, mythically, owls are often associated with death, you know? So are, are people that, when they see that, and they have the big eyes, so, and that's kind of a UFO-y thing, right? Right, agree. Um, an ET yeah. thing. So what is it about the owl, that the owl comes silently, their wings allow them to hardly be heard, so that ties in. You know, I wonder, and again, this is just me thinking this right now, I wonder if the owl is our closest way of thinking of an alien, an extraterrestrial presence, you know? Right, almost, you a, almost like a memory screen. It's a yeah. way of thinking. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What about the idea that, uh, and again, this goes back to mythology, owls having the ability to fly between worlds and, and portals and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, that would fit, wouldn't it? Yeah. Are there other animals like that? That are like owls in, in the sense that they um, they can go between worlds. Yes. Well, we talked about fox and the coyote. I think you know those are they go between worlds. You know, uh, uh, whales are often thought to ah. go between worlds. You remember that old Star Trek about the whale? Where yes. the after yeah. You know, and there's something about that that expansive uh, energy that's often associated with whales and experienced by people who are, are with whales um, that speaks to kind of that galactic collection or con connection. So, yeah, there's a lot of animals like that. I think cats mm -hmm. are great at going, you know, a lot of the animals that are um, active at night, I think, um, uh, kind of bring those energies together, right? Because they're, they're working between worlds. Yeah. What did you call cats in the, in the book? Keeper of secrets? Keeper of secrets. Yeah. What does yeah. that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, I did a, a, a an animal uh, a tarot deck and a cat to me was the keeper of secrets. I mean, partly that comes from my own cat story because that cat, that cat, when I was young, that knew something about me that I didn't know yet. Right. And then I had to learn about. And I think cats are really good at. Um, I've talked to so many cats in uh, animal communication. So this is part of partly this. They're able to hold energies. Um, and I don't think deliberately that are secretive, but they're they're spiritually mature enough to hold secrets of things that maybe we're not ready to know. Does that make sense? I'm speaking in a very broad sense here, and I'm not saying it's true for every cat, but I'm speaking in general of the spirit kind of, of cat um, has a wisdom, has an ability to see things oftentimes that we don't see mm. and help us to tap into our own inner intuition or psychic abilities to kind of open that. So there's something about cat, I think, that... Um, yeah, that speaks to the keeper of secrets.
Like and where are dogs, you know, collectively in, in terms of spiritual advancement? They, to me, dogs are just all emotion and just what you see is what you get. And, and there's, well, and they're so they're so unconditionally loving, aren't they? Yeah. That's why yeah. I was thinking in terms of dogs, just unconditionally loving. And yet um, dogs, uh, uh, I think it's about 40,000 people a year are killed by dog attacks. Mm. Isn't that kind of shocking? I'm a dog person too. <laughs> it's hard for me to, to know, you know, and, and, and the things that humans do to dogs is equally awful. If you start looking at the shadow things of what some humans do to dogs. So we have, we have a balance and dogs do come from wolves. And I always think that's an important component here because, you know, in our, in our, uh, early, early days as humans, we made a pact with wolves. Again, I'm speaking generally here. Yep. You know, some wolves came with, with the humans and we offered them food and they offered to hunt with us and a relationship grew and a kind of pack grew. And those were the, the wolves that became dogs and evolved into dogs. So I think we have an old uh, connection with dogs. I think they're helpers. I think they're companions. And I also think they're really good teachers. You know, they really are. They teach us about ourselves in very loving ways. I don't want to generalize here, but I, it seems to me that there is a, a, a very strong connection, a spiritual, emotional connection, psychic perhaps, with uh, young girls and horses. Mm. What is at play there, do you think? Again, I'm not an expert in this, but I do think horses um, speak to a very uh, vulnerable part of ourselves. I think they speak to um, the desire to um, fly. You know, we see a lot of mythic horses with wings. So there's something about flight. There's something, a lot of, if you read old uh, uh, poems and, and uh, 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 stories about horses, there's often, they're associated with the wind. And, and, you know, there's a wind horse. And so they have to do with breaking past um, conventions, conventional reality, huh? So I imagine, um, and I was never uh, that horse girl, I, uh, so I, I can't speak from experience, but I imagine that it is about horses uh, resonate in that very vulnerable, soft, loving part of a girl growing up and also a part of her wanting to fly away, you know, a kind of moving beyond. So there's an otherworldly quality about horses at times, don't you think? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and yeah. they're, used, they, they're using horses now in therapy, therapy with, with yeah. Down syndrome. Yeah. I spoke with uh, someone who uses horses, uh, equine therapy, I guess they call it, in, mm -hmm. in uh, yeah. the mountains surrounding San Diego. And he said he noticed a physical difference. He would take a child that had Down syndrome and he would notice a physical change in their in their face uh, when they're around horses, like literally transform physically. Yeah, I would totally believe that because there is something about, you know, I have a couple of books on horses and they talk about hookup, which means you're, you're partnering with the horse in a way that you're moving in the same way. You're, you're mind to mind, heart to heart, huh? Mm. And you're connected with that horse in that way. So I can see horses as really uh, powerful, um, again, speaking to that vulnerable place, huh? Within a child, right? Uh, whether you have downs or not. Um, and, and bringing out also at the same time, power, 
because the horse is a very powerful animal, right? Very strong animal. So there's something very interesting about that mix between vulnerability and power. Interesting. In the horse, yeah. It's one of my favorite Churchill quotes. I'm not a, a horse person necessarily, but this quote resonates with me, and that is, the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a person. <laughs> uh, final question. Best, yeah. best uh, piece of wisdom you ever received from an animal? Oh, that's so good. Best piece of wisdom. I think it's going to be be yourself. You know, be, accept your abilities, accept your strengths, embrace your weaknesses, and be yourself. And that a lot of shadow work is about that. It's about finding and reclaiming those lost aspects of self, really embracing them so that we become a larger version of who we really are. We begin to like ourselves. We stop flinging out. We stop projecting on other people because we don't need to, because we actually really like who we are. So yeah, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> and, and what furried or finned or feathered creature did that come from? Numerous. I would say I'm thinking whale right now, but I'm also thinking other animals, dog for sure. Um, other animals have said that in varying ways, you know. Uh, but that's a theme that I hear often from animals. And and even in animal communication sessions, a lot of times uh, companion animals are telling their person to either be more happy with themselves or to be themselves. You know, that it's okay. It's okay if you feel um, sad sometimes. I'm here with you. You know, so I think in general, animals are a lot more accommodating um, with our with us than we are with ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So there's something to be learned there. Shadow animals, how animals we fear can help us heal, transform, and awaken. Don, great meeting you. Great, great, Me <clears throat> great meeting. I enjoyed our conversation very much. Me too. Me as well. Thank you. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.